0: Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A., members FDIC. Spot Me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: It's very hard for me to not have somewhere to go in the morning. And like I loved going to work. I love talking to
3: people at work. <laughs> it was the best. Because you were just like, I'm at j- my job.
2: I'm an adult. I'm at my job. See you later, depression. I'm leaving you at home. You got
3: problems that you ought to be concerned with. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Gabby Dunn here, professional dum-dum, and welcome to the show. Guys, things are changing for Allison and I. I reference it all the time in these intros, big projects in the ether which may or may not pan out. Oh, I wish I could tell you more about this, but our lives are unfair. So no, this will not be the episode where I reveal to you all of what that stuff actually is. That will happen, though. Maybe, if it all comes through. It's all great. Just imagine whatever you would want me and Allison to be doing. It could happen. But today, I want to talk about some of the psychological effects of having all this potential success looming over us. We've talked about the false premise of the windfall so many times on Bad With Money. How dangerous it can be to pin all your hopes and dreams on the idea that one day you're going to get this giant reward for all the emotional and financial hardship you've endured. Because the reality, of course, is that... Something like that happens extremely rarely. And if you convince yourself that it's coming and that nothing else matters until it does, you can really fuck yourself. A little later on in this episode, we're gonna to talk to comedian Sarah Schaefer, who's lived on both sides of that, the fuck up and the windfall. But first, back to Allison and I. What we're learning is that what actually matters is the work you put in while you're waiting for the windfall, the tireless effort that we pour into all of our projects together and separate and the incremental changes that have happened over the three years of work we've put in. That's not only how you make progress, but it's also how you learn what kind of artist you are. More importantly, it's how you learn what kind of person you are. And it really matters, because whether or not the windfall ever comes, at the end of the day, you're stuck with yourself. So I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I invited Allison back to the studio to reflect on it with me. Welcome back to my podcast, Allison Raskin. It's a pleasure to be here. This is my comedy partner. I've mentioned her many times over the course of this podcast. Have so. you mentioned me? Yeah, yeah. What do you say? Uh, that you have a, a high uh, a high caliber for content. Ooh. That you love deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared of you, so that's why it runs soothing.
2: Yeah, I'm scared of myself.
3: <laughs> um. So... Do you view our videos as our property, or how do you view, like, us owning the channel? I view you as my property. Great. <laughs> More like a child. Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah, obviously we own the channel. It's hard because it's like, at this point, it's like, do I even want to own this content? <laughs> Why? Because it feels... I feel like we're at that place where, like, it's been so amazing that we own this content and that this thing is ours and that we are in complete control of it. Mm-hmm. But there's, like, a reason why people sell their souls. And it's so they have more money so they can make better content. And so they don't have to do all the work themselves. I don't even mind. I'll do all the work myself. I just want more money so we can leave
3: the apartment. What's the difference between you working at full screen now versus, like, what we were doing at, at BuzzFeed? Or why would you take a job Now, full screen
2: is a really different thing where they let me do anything else. Um, yeah, like it's come and go as I please, and I feel like I get to play with different characters than when I get to play on JBU. Mm -hmm. Um, so actually, at full screen, I came in as a writer. If anyone doesn't know, full screen is a pay for service that's like an app with with an app with original content as well as like a library of content that they've purchased, and then you can watch it. I don't know what's gonna happen it just started <laughs> um, but I came in mostly honestly as a writer and then I was in some stuff and then I became more just a cast member and there became this thing where it was like okay we want you to be a full-time cast member but if you do that then you have to sign this contract and you have six months ha- yeah we have you for six months and you can't do any other sketch stuff and like We'll and you pay... were like, well, no. Yeah, but also they'd pay me way more. Yeah. Um, But that was, like, cool because, in a way, I, I got to make the decision. Yeah. And I got to weigh the benefits. And for me, it makes more sense just to not sign that contract and just to go in with the same day rate that I started with so that I can leave whenever I want.
3: Yeah, I think you're going into it with more respect. Like, you're going into it as someone who has a successful channel and who... I don't
2: think they knew who I was when I got there,
3: to be perfectly honest.
2: <laughs> I well, think then it's why more, are they I have, treating you better? I have more respect for myself. Oh,
3: so you know how you should be treated. Yes. As and opposed to when we first started working.
2: I mean, I had no idea. And, like, because you're just so grateful for the work. And, like, for a while, like, obviously you have to pay your dues and you have to, like, write things on spec and, like, never make any money. Because the more that you write, the better writer you become. Yeah. So, like, I don't regret having written any of those things because I'm now a better writer. But now I'm at a place where, like, I'm confident, mostly not really, in my writing, and now I just want to do things where I'm being paid.
3: Yeah, because when we first started working at BuzzFeed, you were someone who had, like, I had sort of just fallen in. Like, I was like, I'm a personality, and then I fell into it. And you were someone who had studied screenwriting and then had graduated and was sort of doing the typical Hollywood, like, assistant grind. And so to for, I think it was a different experience for you where you... starting working there and you were like, I'm being paid to write. Like, this is all I've been trying to do for seven years. It was
2: amazing. I mean, to be able to say when someone said, what do you do? And say writer. Yeah. And not mean like in a coffee shop. Yeah. um, That was incredible. Just like the pride that I feel with that. And also just like the way that that allows me to carry myself differently and interact with the world. Because the whole thing about this game is like, you're not going to get famous that quickly. You're not going to get like rich that quickly but what you need to keep going is like validation
3: yeah and so you were like great I work here and I feel validated by this job and I never felt that I was always like I'm I could t- I'll leave but you'd had other
2: success before you got there so I think we were coming from super different places
3: yeah I think I think it was so important for me to know my worth and so it allowed me to not be like crushed by leaving Where I think a lot of people that start working at big media companies, it's their first job out of college Mm -hmm. or it's their first job in the industry. The
2: whole thing is, is like, I think it's a great place to start, like a company like that. But you went into this industry knowing that it's going to be risky. Right. You went into the industry knowing that it's like not a like a straight road, like you can't Mm -hmm. just like climb the ladder and then suddenly have your own TV show. Right. And I think that like what what's hard about those companies is suddenly you're sucked in and you're like, oh, I can climb the ladder. And, you know, but it's like, no, remember how like you went into this thinking you would take
3: risks. Right. Like, just go back, like, go back to the risks. Protect yourself and, like, don't get too involved in it and tie up all of your self-worth and all of your ideas and all of your content in it. Like, I think we were lucky to have JBU outside of it that gave us perspective.
2: Oh, absolutely. But also it's interesting in that, you know, I'm sure our experience at the company would have been very different if we hadn't had it because then we would have seemed all in.
3: Right. Like, I think we would have been like, well, we don't have anything else. Um, Do you think that most creators undervalue their work? Here's the thing is
2: anyone who says like writing is easy is a bad writer. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So I think it's hard. I think people who aren't that talented often overvalue their work and people who are talented like undervalue it. It's these
3: arrogant people who are like, I'm the best writer ever. And then it's like a terrible script.
2: Yeah. Like if you have a big head without having had any success... (laughs) then like that's just like a weird personality trait that you have and i like but can't people really tell trust you it. but
3: people tell you to go in and just ask for a million dollars do you know what i mean like people tell you like just go in and fake it till you make it just have confidence i
2: think that that's super true i mean i think that since i've started to be more like nah fuck it like i definitely have had
3: more opportunities but you get nervous you get nerve like if our manager wants to ask for more money you get a little nervous
2: i do but i also think that has to do with my ocd where i think the contract will just go away oh like it's not the concept of like i don't deserve more money it's just like this weird like mental health thing where i'm like nervous like i need something to happen to believe that it happened and you've yeah. seen me things happen and i still don't believe they happened
3: i mean but i'm that way too yeah it's not a great cycle for us no but i think sometimes i not overvalue but i certainly am like Ah, oh, well, we're the best female scripted comedy duo in the world. We have an amazing dynamic that is unique and the world has never seen it. But, like, I get very yeah, hyped if up if I, on I us. met you now, I wouldn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> you think i talk us up too much? Yeah. What do you think about the whole thing with people saying, calling, if we got a TV show or, or get a big brand deal or whatever, that we're sellouts?
2: I think the smartest thing I've ever done for us is from the beginning say that I want to sell out.
3: Yeah, your character was built into your character. Like, I love money. I love success. <laughs> I'm all about selling out. Like, we've had your character say the sentence, I love money, so many times. Yeah.
2: And just, like, I, like, would love to sell
3: out. <laughs> and then people are rooting for you and they love you. So when we do sell out, they're like, Allison did it! Yeah. <laughs> she got that thing that she wanted. Because you know, they love you.
2: There's also, like, a, I'm not going to sell out to, like, what's that horrible company that, like, everyone hates with the with the fruits? Fit tea? No, no, no. With fruit and vegetables. Like, Mendoc- not Mendocino. Mike my- Oh, oh. Mons- Monsanto. Monsanto. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not going to, like, rep Monsanto. Right, right, but, right. But, like, you know, we put care and thought into the brands that we do work with. And, mm-hmm. like, we've turned down opportunities because influencers involved, their brands involved aren't right for us. Right. Um, but, like, if it's a cool company, like, yeah, pay me.
3: <laughs> um.
2: Should we have gone to business school? Oh, so I'm supposed to tell you this. My dad's my new business manager. Oh, officially? Yeah, officially. He wanted me to tell people, so I guess this is a really good time. <laughs> Does he want to manage me? Yeah, but you might have to pay him, like, a percentage. I'm I'm free. I have to pay him a percentage. No, for now I'm sure he'll do it for free. Once he
3: retires, oh man,
2: he'll do it for free.
3: He'll be so bored. <laughs> but I mean, I didn't I underestimated how much we would have to. I mean, we have an LLC. Like how much we would have to be doing business stuff.
2: You don't do it, I do it. I'm we as an entity. Yeah, I hate it. I'm I might have built us into the ground. <laughs> All of our money is missing. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and our LLC is a box of checks that's in my closet. Um yeah, no, it's very frustrating. I called our manager today just to be like I'm having a panic attack about Vidcon. Um I know Gabby and I have panels at the same time, but I need you to come with me.
3: <laughs> really? I said that cuz I knew you'd be fine. You cuz I was like I don't know what to do. Like I can I have to go to these things. Like I can't just be, be with Allison.
2: Yeah, so I'm going to just stay in my hotel room Thursday night, and then on the panel we have at the same time, I'm making Matt come with me.
3: <laughs> You're just going to hang out with Matt the whole time? I guess. I don't know. I can't even go swimming. I just want to go swimming. Why can't you go swimming? What if someone sees me,
2: and then I have to take a photo in my bathing suit? Are
3: you a real person? <laughs> yeah. Those are valid concerns. Oh, my God. Okay, great. Um, so here's a question. Uh, oh, good. The first one i don't want you on this podcast anymore. <laughs> can i come back a third time <laughs> yeah right welcome to allison raskin presents <laughs> um so it, i've talked to a lot of people about the idea of the windfall and about how i kind of live this life of like well i'm gonna get a bunch of money one day right so i'm like if we you know we're getting all this money maybe soon maybe and have you thought about like what you'll do
2: yeah, my dad, my business manager, <laughs> has actually been on my ass about that and he wants me to invest it. And I said, I don't believe in the stock market. I don't want to lose my money. I'm such a hoarder. Um but like he wants me to put it in a fund that I guess like you don't ever lose money, but you gain more money. You so I yeah, you I'll... can't touch that fund? It's like a no, fund you, you won't touch? Oh, okay. He'll do it for you too. I'll just tell him that you want him as your business manager as well. But I can't pay him a percentage. I'm not going to either. <laughs> Again, he's just happy, you're my friend. <laughs> yeah. But um we you... should be investing. I know what in what though? I'm not sure what it's called. What? It's, it's
3: some sort of fund.
2: I don't know, mutual fund. It's something.
3: Because I just feel like I don't know what to do with that windfall. I have no idea. I've been told I can't spend it at all. I should not move. I should not get a new car. Like yeah, nothing. you can't spend it. Oh, oh, I'm not allowed. Yeah,
2: I can, but you can't. <laughs> do you want to do the stock market? It seems I love crazy. gambling. That's yeah, you can't. I can't do the stock market. Well, if you I have... do it, you can't be in charge of it. You just have to have a stockbroker. Yeah, I have
3: an addict's personality, so I literally shouldn't do anything with this money. No. I am
4: getting very tired of the roller coaster, but I, I can't let go of my goals yet.
3: Sarah Schaefer is a stand up comedian who knows what it's like to spend your 20s hoping for that lump sum that's going to change everything. In 2013, it looked like the moment had finally arrived. She and fellow comedian Nikki Glazer got a talk show on MTV called Nikki and Sarah Live. It was her dream come true. Unfortunately, by that point, she'd already dug herself in pretty deep.
4: I know you're looking at me and you're just like, what is her secret? And I will tell you the secret.
5: I'll tell you the secret, um...
4: Fifty-seven thousand dollars in debt.
5: Everything you
4: see, I haven't paid for it yet. I went to the fiscal cliff. He pushed me and I flew.
5: <laughs>
4: and the he in that scenario is Capital One.
3: How did it happen? Here's how she put it to Scott Moran in an episode of the YouTube series Modern Comedian.
4: Every choice I've made has been with the idea that I would make it. that I would get there and get my big break. And no matter what, just keep holding on. I basically put it all in, you know. I'm just was like, take it, world. I'm... Gonna totally fuck this up until it works out creatively for me.
3: I'm gonna go ahead and guess there's a lot of you out there listening to this who've had that exact same thought. And as you heard earlier, that's the same lie that I've told myself for years. What's our problem?
4: If I have an idea, a creative idea, and I need to buy something, Mm-hmm. I'll go buy the thing. Right. I I don't care how little money I'll have. If I need a witch costume, I'm gonna buy a goddamn witch costume. Mm-hmm. On the way, you know. Or if I left something at home and I need it for the show, I'm gonna buy a new one. I had racked up like sixty five thousand dollars in debt. It, I, I went between fifty seven and sixty five, depending on what I was including. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of it was credit card, which is super embarrassing, because it's like, when you say, oh, I have all these student loans, people are like, well, so does everybody. Mm-hmm. But if you have credit card debt, you get judged.
3: Well, how many um, cards did you have?
4: I had three. I had one that was like 13000 one that was 20000 I mean, it was like...
3: But would they offer to move? Like, would they so go, you Yes. Yeah, see, this was, was the more.
4: danger of it. When I was a good little girl, and I only had a little bit on my credit cards at any given time, they would just increase it. And I want to be clear, like, in the time where it was, like, really getting out of control. I was paying for groceries with my credit card. My bills and stuff were too much. Plus the minimum payments at this point were almost up to like $1,500 on all my debt. So $1,500 a month was just paying interest. That's a huge expense. And you feel like you're drowning. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, at any moment, I just was felt like my entire world was going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So I was like just keeping a hole alive, kind of. Um, Yeah. And then we found out we got the show and it was super exciting. I like had tears streaming down my face. Um, I thought, oh my God, this is going to get me. Out. I know one season of this will fill most of the hole, if not all of it, if I'm smart with my money. And this was like in April or May of uh, um, when it happened. And then they were like, and it's going to debut in January. And I was <laughs> like, <"Arr!" laughs> like, okay. And then... You know, we start working on the show in like November and Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, let's get the money rolling in. And like, no offense to MTV, but they're a large, very large corporation, Mm -hmm. Viacom, and they're um, a lot of red tape in a company like that. And I didn't get paid for anything for months.
3: So, but were there people that assumed that you were wealthy after you got the show?
4: Yeah, I assumed, you know, like I assumed that about You know, those who came before me like, oh, you know, you're doing so well and you have to be careful, like, especially if you're talking to people who are really struggling Mm -hmm. to be like, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I mean, you're still, I still had a show and I was making good money and I was getting out of debt and I saved a little bit. It's gone now Mm -hmm. because once the show, this is another thing I learned, once the show got canceled, you know, the gravy train stops and you have, and you don't know when the next thing is coming. You really don't. And I've managed to make a good living since then. But people now probably think – it's so funny. On the opposite, they probably think I'm broke. They probably think I'm failing because I'm not on the TV anymore.
3: But just because you have something on TV doesn't mean you're making money. And just because you're, on, you're not on TV doesn't mean you're not making money. I mean, Allison and I have different financial backgrounds. And mm-hmm. I think – like a lot of times we'll take stuff because I need the money and she doesn't necessarily <laughs> need it. Yeah. And then I don't know. I was in debt as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like, did I really make $7,000 or did I just pay $7,000 to this negative deficit? Yeah. And then we were just trying for a while. She and I were just trying to get me back to zero.
4: Oh, yeah. the, the Zero is such a mm-hmm. you feel so wealthy when you're at zero. <laughs> um I've accepted the fact that, you know, I'm not someone who penny pinches mm-hmm. and if you never live your life and you never have fun, I mean, that's not the kind of life I want. So there is a balance. I, I'm trying mm-hmm. to get more in the middle and not be so risky with my money and spontaneous with it. Um, but
3: but you can't take it with you. Like when you I die, what are you gonna, you're going to be happy you had money. I don't know. My parents, I interviewed yeah. my parents before this because and I want to ask you about that because you said that you weren't raised to like know about money. Yeah. Is that like parents or I mean, it was so weird because in I mean, we don't learn anything like that in school.
4: No, it's both. It's education. I had a joke in my act about like, you know, when you graduate high school, do you know what a rhombus is? Yes. But do you know what APR stands for? No. No. And what's more important in your life? What's more useful?
3: I didn't know how to fill out a check. Like I had to Google when I had like (laughs) rent for the first time. Like, where does your signature go? Yeah.
4: I mean, they don't teach you anything. You go to college. Capital One had a booth set up and they were giving people free T-shirts to sign up for a credit card. You don't know what you're getting into. You're 18 (sighs) years old. So this is the other side of the coin for me, which is my parents had severe money problems. And my father, I mean, I can't really go into it too much, but he fucked up. Like yeah. bad. And, Mine too. Um, it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And my parents were extremely spontaneous Mine with too. money. Um, they never had any we I had no savings for they did not put away any college money for us. Yep. Um but they lived. You yeah. know, like well, that they lived their, their, their lives. You know, when like, I interviewed <laughs> that when
3: I interviewed my parents, that was their excuse. My mom yesterday was like, Well, you're our retirement fund. <sighs> and I was like, <sighs> <sighs> Yeah.
4: My dad says the same things. He's like, don't forget the little people. Like anytime something good happens in my career, he (laughs) adds a comment like, please buy me a house. You know, and he's joking, but I know he's like, not joking. Um, But I I think my parents also money was a major stress as Mm -hmm. well. So I got put in me panic and shame about money, but also... Spending money makes me feel good. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's a, in my family, it was also how you showed affection, which was a very dangerous oh. um, connection.
3: A lot of times, yeah, I think in my childhood, too, stuff was bad. And then someone would buy me something and I, that yeah. would make up for something bad that happened. Or mm-hmm. And it's also control, right? Like, yeah. so everything's terrible. I have no control over anything going on. This my is life, not
4: an action I can take right now. I can this, control buying yeah. this
3: bag. And yeah. then you do that.
4: We had a name for it in my family. We what? have a name for it. It's called Pound Puppy. And remember, pound puppies. I'm I'm older than you, so I don't know if you. There were these little dog dolls. Wait,
3: are they the ones that have babies inside of them?
4: <laughs> yeah, there was a big. Those kind of got phased out because oh, people okay. thought they were gross. Because it was gross. gross. Yeah. But the little ones, the puppies themselves, would come in a little carrier. Yeah. And they were called pound puppies, and we were me and my little sister were obsessed with them. And if we were sick, my mom, after the doctor would go, "Do you want to go get a pound puppy when we go to the little drugstore?" to get your medicine Mm -hmm. she let us go pick out a pound puppy so then we just started joking that any gift for when you felt bad about anything was called a pound puppy part of why I got into the horrible debt was my mom died I got divorced all in the course of a year Mm -hmm. and before that it was already in me I had a shopping addiction Mm -hmm. which was and not to the point I did not have a shopping addiction the kind that you would see on like a TLC show (laughs) Um but i I wasn't a hoarder or anything like that, or yeah. you know the no no extreme version of that, but I had definitely an emotional connection to shopping where I thought I was normal and then I would reveal how much I had spent on clothes it was clothes mm-hmm. um and people would be horrified I'll go shopping and and I'll drop fifteen hundred dollars mm-hmm. in a day and there are some people who are like fifteen hundred dollars. I mean, that's one shirt from Barney's. You know, right. like yeah, it's I, so on a scale. But yeah. on my scale, that was way too much money to be spending on clothes. Yeah, and I
3: this will make me feel better. Right,
4: I would get depressed, yeah. and I would shop alone. I still love shopping alone. I don't like people being there um, because I don't like judgment. Mm-hmm. I don't like anyone going. That's too expensive. And I'm like, I'm not so to weird buy that it.
3: you're a comedian and you don't like judgment. Uh,
4: <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, when you have so much judgment coming from the business, yeah. there are things that you just want to do and have nobody judge you for. And
3: and money's so uh, personal that way, too. Yeah. Where you're like, let me have this. Everything yeah. sucks.
4: Yeah. So I would get, I I'd already had that in me. Yeah. And then I had those things happen. And I was living alone for the first time in my adult life. I did not understand how expensive that was. At the same exact time, I got a new job working at Fallon, which was a dream job. Oh, yeah. And it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me totally changed my life but it wasn't enough money to live off of alone and what i i didn't another big i was doing it all
3: over
4: <laughs> right they, they they really um it, it depends on who you are at the show like if i wasn't yeah. in a union i wasn't a writer i was running right. their internet stuff and that was a job that was new and they just gave me a salary that i thought was fine
3: and then but i bet even then you know. people thought oh sarah's making money she's working oh of course at i had an M- i had two emmys Ah! I and mean, people are like oh i
4: mean even when i was little if Can i thought on
3: I these emmys Can
4: like when sell? i was little i thought oh if i have an emmy i will have a mansion for that emmy
3: especially i thought too that you, you know, would just get one lump sum and that would erase mm, everything
4: yeah you know the money i made at mtv was to me insane mm-hmm. amount of money like i just had never made that amount of money in one in a short period of time but when you spread that out over 10 years of me sacrificing everything to try and make it in this business. Yeah. It's not that much money. (laughs) You know, That I had all that debt partly because I was pushing myself towards these goals and I made choices that would push me even further Mm -hmm. towards it and it all combined. But I didn't Um, realize
3: until I like moved to LA, really, I didn't realize that other people had money and I didn't. I mean, other people like my own age in my peer group of creatives Mm -hmm. or whatever like it i think i had this naivete of like i'm gonna move to la and purely on talent i will succeed but like then a lot of these people that i'm like how did this person finish their film oh their parents paid for it
4: i mean and that's not an indictment on their personality or whether they're nice or not i get it but there are people who i yeah i used to be like god they've this, this they got
3: this they got that they got so
4: much and then i realized They were living off of their parents' money for the first five to ten years of their career. They didn't have to work. I had a huge day job the moment I got to New York City that was 60 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to hang out at McManus, which is the place (laughs) that UCB people used to hang out at.
3: Part of the Fusion article was about feeling like I was too famous to do stuff that I was too broke not to do. Like I was a courier for Postmates. And I would be going to people's houses to drop stuff off. And they'd be like, whoa, whoa, like they wouldn't want me to leave because they'd be like, you're yeah. from BuzzFeed. And then it's like, God <laughs> fucking damn it. I like, know,
4: it's humiliating sometimes, yeah. the stuff you have to do. And I, Is this I, for a video? Be-
3: <laughs> no, it's not for a video. God damn
4: it. <gasps> <gasps> yeah.
3: When I was younger, I was like, Oh, God, I'm going to be one of those people who has money in their 20s. That's what I thought. Like, I'll be successful in my 20s. Mm-hmm. I'll have money in my 20s. And now I'm 28 and we're pitching and doing stuff. And I'm like, OK, maybe I'll have money in my 30s. Maybe that's what we're like. I'm. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I'm
4: now like in my 40s. I'm going to have <laughs> money in my 40s. Like, and I've had money. Yeah. And then I've had times when I don't, where I'm really broke. I mean, like, it's up and down. You know, I had a pilot with IFC mm-hmm. and it did not get picked up. And... um. And it was a a great experience. They were awesome. Um, But after that, one of the things I said out loud, which was like, I don't know how many more rounds I have left in this fight. Um, And then I realized that was premature and that I have many rounds left. Yeah. But at the time you feel so tired because you put so much time into something and then it doesn't go forward. And you're just like, oh, my God, that was two years. But that's why you have multiple things going at the same time so that you don't lose your mind.
3: Things are not always what they seem and money is so emotional but also it's just so psychological and it messes with you right because now currently in my life I signed something for a project Allison and I have going on and I know that I have $20,000 coming to me when when will it come where is it is it in the the air is it in the mail like do I currently have that $20,000 or Can I act as if I have it or should I wait until I have it in my hand? It's like this weird torture. And once I have that $20,000, do I even really have it? Because probably like 6000 of it will go to my car. And then the rest of it, part of me is like I don't want to touch it at all because I'm the type of person who I know will blow it immediately. And when you know that about yourself, it's a losing game. So I have to like hide myself from myself. And that is Twisted. Thanks for listening to Bad With Money. If you like the show, please subscribe and iTunes and leave us a rating. And be sure to tell all your friends who are bad with money that this is the place for them. Also feel free to tell your friends who have never convinced themselves that a thunderstorm of cash is going to rain only on them one day and instead spent their 20s putting 30% of their paycheck in a savings account like a boring dork. We're part of the Panoply Network. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is Panoply's director of production. And Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Our engineer is Jeremy Underwood. Original music for our show was composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Our show art is by Cameron Glavin. And in case you forgot, I am Gabby Dunn, and I will talk to you next time. Bye!